All right. Gotcha. Yeah. There we Got go. it. Okay. So, um, basically, the beginning point in the teachings of the Buddha, the Buddha actually gives that. He said, both formally and now, I only teach one thing. Just one thing. And that one thing is called Dukkha Dukkha Naroda. And so as we unpack Dukkha Dukkha Naroda, make sure that you understand that it's still just one thing. That in okay. fact, this is a major point. Uh, I've had this discussion with my good friend Dama Vitu over on the other island. And uh, he's the one who brought it up first. And I congratulated him for that. When he says that the Dhamma is actually the teaching of the Buddha is very small. There's not much to it at all. Mm-hmm. And yet most of the beginners, when they see Buddhism from the beginning, they see something very vast, very broad. Even by the numbers, they see he's got three of this and four of that and four more of those things and five of those and seven of this and nine of that and 12 of this and 16 of those things and three of these and four more of those things and four more, etc. Lots of fours of things and people mm-hmm. get confused. But really what we're talking about is by naming things by the numbers, that actually makes it easier to keep track of so that we get things whole and complete. And when things are whole and complete, it's very simple. But when things are all over the place, then it looks really complicated. Yeah, organization. Yeah, that feels right. So a whole lot of the teaching of the Buddha is about organization. That in fact, the Buddha, even though he didn't know the terms that we have, there is a term to use called general systems theory. Have you ever heard of the term general systems theory? Okay. Mm-hmm. They talk about open systems and closed systems. This is actually a, a, a high level of mathematics. But mm-hmm. one of the qualities is of general system theory is that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. An example of that is that you can have automobile parts spread all over the yard. But you don't have an automobile, but when you take the automobile parts and arrange them in the correct order, then not only do you have something new in automobile, you have something really new, and that is transportation. Mm-hmm. You can't sit in the seats that's sitting in the yard and expect those seats to take you someplace. They can only be taking you someplace when you put it on the body. Uh, of the frame, but the body is not going to go any place without the uh, the wheels and the tires and all of that. So another way of looking at it is a grandfather clock. Yeah. A grandfather clock can only tick when all of the pieces of the clock are put together and functioning correctly. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it's a clock. It's something new. Before it was just a bunch of gears and springs and bolts and uh pendulums and cases and that kind of stuff but when you put everything together in correct order now you've got something new yeah all right so that's an important point if we can get the mind put together correctly then we're going to have something new well isn't it our body already kind of a part of that system and the mind is just the the last part we're working on (laughs) except that normally because of the way that we have it, we're, we're a crowd inside. A crowd means conflicted. We have uh, conflicting interests. We want this and we want that, and that turns us into a crowd. Sometimes we, uh, we know what the truth is, and we don't like the truth, so we tell a lie. Now we're divided inside. We're no longer whole. We're no longer integrated. So when we're lying or when we want something or when we're out of whack, that mm-hmm. out of whack means that we're not complete and not whole. But if a mind is whole and unified, then it is sufficient in and of it to itself. It's got all of the various pieces and parts together, and this is what would make the mind whole. Mm-hmm. The Buddha calls this unification of mind. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that when when we are not unified in the mind, that means that the mind jumps from here to there to there to there to there. 
And when we have uh, congruent thoughts, that means that we can go to and stay on it and stay on it and stay on it because the mind is organized and unified. Okay, so the first teaching of the Buddha is the, the teaching, a very simple teaching of Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda, and yet everyone makes a huge mistake about that. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think that we talked about it before uh, when you called last time about the uh, the first noble truth is, is that Dukkha exists, mm-hmm. but that it's not life itself, that mm-hmm. life is not suffering, that people see suffering, and then they make a big mistake and say, oh, it's because I'm alive that I'm suffering. And no, it's you're telling yourself to suffer. That's why you're suffering. Mm. All right. So uh, uh, basically what we need to teach uh, then or the way to look at it is, is that Dukkha is to be seen immediately and changed into Dukkha Naroda. Mm-hmm. Most Westerners look at it of part of our culture is in the sense of delayed gratification. Okay. okay. Delayed gratification. Learn your ABCs. Okay. Why do you learn your ABCs? So you can put simple words together. Why do you put simple words together? So you can put more complicated words together and then you can take complicated words together and make a sentence out of it. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So one thing after another, after another, after another. Mm-hmm. And you never get finished with it. No. So our whole life is based in uh, delayed gratification. And the teachings of the Buddha is all to learn about how to gain your gratification finally. Yeah, when how are you to... going to get the rewards? Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 exactly. When do you get the rewards? Yeah, when, well, the answer to that is, is that you have been following the plan that you were given by society where there is no reward. Yeah. That the reward yeah. was sur- surreptitiously taken from you secretly. Here's an example yeah. of that. The horse loves his pasture. He's got all kinds of plants and things to eat and he gallops around and everything is wonderful. And then the farmer comes in, puts a harness on the horse, fixes a plow to the horse, whips the horse until the horse plows up his own pasture. Mm, Yeah. And then after the horse plows up his own pasture, guess what? The farmer plants fruits that the farmer wants to eat and the horse is left with nothing but hay, perhaps. Yeah. Okay, we all live our lives like that. We live in a paradise of a child. A young child, three and four years old, lives in a paradise. And the Mm -hmm. parents put a harness and put a plow on and teach that child to plow up his own paradise. Mm -hmm. The Buddha talks about this in the sense of a woeful state, and he talks about it in the sense of being an animal. You've heard about being reborn as an animal. That's it. Being reborn as an animal means that we do things that we're told to do, and we do them and resent doing it. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Okay. So that just like the horse got no pleasure out of plowing his field, the child gets no pleasure out of learning the ABCs. And we wind up living our whole lives not ever gaining the pleasure of the success. And so the teachings of the Buddha is all about how to learn to take pleasure in the success of this present moment. Okay. To stop delaying our gratification and start getting uh, the gratification right now. Uh-huh. So in another words, I, I talk about it in this respect, that we have spent our whole lives talking ourselves into feeling bad. And now it's time to talk ourselves into feeling good, which means to talk about, start gaining the rewards that we've already gotten. Yeah. So that we can actually develop the skills that we need. And the skills that we need are the skills of safety, security, 
comfort, satisfaction, and on top of all of that, success. Oh, and wow. Have, and when we have that, we can practice it. We can practice it. So a lot of kids will say, oh, well, you tell me to gladden the mind and feel joy. And when I feel joy, I keep telling myself it's not good enough. Well, that's the destruction. When is joy going to be good enough? It's going to be good enough when you allow what you've got to be good enough. Uh-huh. Okay. Mm-hmm. So a lot of religion is about perfections and purifications and over-the-tops and uh, delusional thinking about how good things can get. And the actual teachings of the Buddha is, hey, things are really nice as they are right now. Why don't we enjoy the things the way that they are rather than trying to make them good enough? I know what you're saying. And then it automatically goes to this thought, if I see a a cat wounded or some animal wounded, I can't just ignore it. But there is no wounded cat right now. Oh, my God. So thinking about a wounded cat is delusional thinking. Okay. Okay. Oh, wow. That's a lot. The wounded cat is concept. And it's our conceptual thinking that give us what about isms? What about this and what about that? Those things don't exist right now. Why are you even bringing them up? Yeah. They don't. (laughs) Right. So the real teachings of the Buddha is see that those kind of thoughts of, well, what about a wounded cat? Is that's actually dukkha because there's no wounded cat. I made it up. That's delusional. That's a magical thought. The answer is you don't have any wounded cats right now. Take a rest. Everything's okay right now. Everything's fine. No wounded cats. Not a not a wounded cat in sight. Uh, yeah, correct. <laughs> when I'm talking to you, and this is where I want to be, like all the time. I don't want to be outside and, and looking at any cats. Right. So if I can remind you to stop thinking about wounded cats, you can remind you to stop thinking about wounded cats. That that's what the practice of Anapanasati is all about, is to start to wake up and to pay attention to what we're having and to make a judgment about whether this thought that I'm having right now is worth having or not. And definitely thinking about wounded cats when we don't have a wounded cat. And in fact, if you've got a wounded cat, you're not thinking about wounded cats, you're thinking about dressing this wound. Yeah, okay. Okay, you're not even thinking about wounded cats at all. No. 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 Wounded cats is a thought. It's a concept. And what we're looking at now is to come out of that conceptual thinking when we recognize that all of dukkha or all of dissatisfaction is caused because we're having unsatisfying thoughts. Okay. Yeah, I don't want to have that thought. I don't. I. I feel like. Yeah, you can uh, think of things better to think about than wounded cats. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I also tend to think I'm a compassionate being. Why don't I think about somebody's some, like being wounded? Well, so that's I, the whole point. Is is that your compassion is only a fan, uh, a fan, how to say it a fantasy compassion Uh because your compassion is for fantasy cats if you want to have real compassion you've got to have a real cat yeah that this is the this is a major teaching of the buddha let's talk about it in in this sense and then we'll get into the eightfold noble path and and whatnot but uh, a really good thing to look at is how big is your world what is the world? 
the outside world or the inside? All right, let's go for outside world. How big is the outside world? Unlimited, eternal, infinite. No, that's an inside. No, that's an inside world. That's concept. How big is the real outside world? Oh, <laughs> I don't. I don't know. It's all right. It's your world goes only as far as your senses, as far as you can see. You can use a tool like binoculars to see a little further, but what you see is in your real world. Those binoculars cannot help you to see what's on the other side of the hill. Yeah. The other side of the hill is not part of your world. It's part of your concept. If you think you know what's on the other side of the hill, that's just merely a mental concept. Okay, so what I see is my world. What you hear is your world. What touches you is your world. What you taste is your world. Your world is the five senses. Uh -huh. And yet in our school system in the United States, they teach the children a conceptualized world. They give the kids planets, globes, maps. Yeah, yeah. They give them a whole list of names of countries and capitals and all kinds of things. And then the kid has to go into a, a physics class where now they're shown pictures of the Hubble telescope and they're expanding it off and off further and further into a conceptualized universe. But the real world you live in is the world of your senses, and most people don't live in the world of their senses. They live in a conceptualized world. Like your dead cat. Sorry, not dead. Wounded cats. Yeah, 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 that's right. That's right. Um, okay, keep going. So. All right. So. If you are living in this world, in this particular moment, an example of it is in the room that you're in, there are no alligators. Correct. It's good for you to recognize there are no alligators. Look around. Make sure that there's no alligators in the room. <laughs> there is no alligators. How about pythons? Are there any pythons? I don't see any. How about cobras? I don't feel any. I don't and, you, and you have been all over that room before. And you yeah. know for sure that there's no cobras. You've done an investigation. Any any cobras that could hide in your room, you probably looked in that area and found that there were no cobras there. Even though you weren't looking for cobras, you saw there were no cobras there. Yeah. Okay. Correct. You also know because of your hearing that there is no, um, uh, uh, what do they call them? Uh, Mice. Piece of uh, uh, cops that get in big, heavy gear and break oh. people's door down. You know, the uh, the squad uh, um, of, yeah. of cops. There's nobody breaking your door down. Yeah. OK, so the the reality in in there is, is that you're safe. Yeah. And yet in a conceptualized world, you can find all kinds of things to be afraid of. But the reality is, is that you're secure. Yeah. If we correct. start paying attention to the fact that actually in reality, in this moment here now, there is no dangers. Then mm -hmm. right here, right now, in this place, you can feel secure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But most people go around living in some state of fear or another. Mm -hmm. Even though our society has made it relatively safe, People still feel insecure. Mm -hmm. That in fact, if people felt secure, they probably wouldn't vote. The only people who vote are the ones who want things. They feel insecure. The Republicans do not like the libs. They want to own the libs. And so they make sure that they go and vote because they want something. But if you're completely satisfied, then there's no place to go and nothing to do. You're OK. That means that the politicians work really hard to get people upset. They work really hard to get people into ill will or get them into greed. They'll either promise them something good or tell them, if you don't vote for me, something bad's going to happen. 
So all of politics is based upon the second noble truth, the cause of suffering. Politics is the cause of suffering. Yeah. So if you're not political, you got nothing to suffer over. No, I completely, I'm not interested in politics yet. I don't discuss and I don't even know who, what the hell is going on because it doesn't but affect. You do know that many people do know what's going on and they feel really bad about it. Correct. Yeah. So, so, um, yeah, so that is already out of my life, out of my paying attention. Right. But for those people who are upset, they're not upset over what's actually they can see in their senses. They're upset over the concepts that they've been told about. Correct. The guy in Alabama who hates everything is hating things because he heard a story about what's happening in Washington and it's happening in Washington, not happening in Alabama. And yet he's all upset in Alabama about what's happening in Washington. Yeah. Yeah. But and it's, it's not there. affecting him at all. But it's there. In his own mind. Yeah. And I don't, I can't connect with those people. Well, you can connect with the fact that you do it anyway in other things, like with family. Instead of politics, you get involved with you're trying to fix a family that's not broken. Yes, yes. All right, so what, how, how to practice? How do All I right. get out? Well, let's look at it first off from the position, because we've actually talked about the first and the second noble truth. Let's mention the third noble truth, because that's the one that we really should look at. And yet in Western Buddhism, very little attention is put to it. It's almost like that, well, we'll get around to it eventually, mm-hmm. is the idea that they had. Not now, that's something for later. But in Mm -hmm. fact, no, it's for right now. We have to practice in a way to get ourselves into a state that's completely free from suffering. Right now, I got no worries. Right now, everything's okay. Right now, if I'm not thinking about all the bad in the world, then there is no bad in the world. But if I do think about all the bad in the world, then the world that I'm thinking about is conceptualized, and so is all the bad in the world that I'm conceptualizing. Right here on this porch, there's no problems. And so this is the way to begin to look, that in our world, our world is perfect. It's not dangerous. It's comfortable. We're satisfied. And we can handle things. We can handle this right now. Yes. Okay. Look behind you and see the uh, the the ceiling sconce that you have. The lighting. Look behind mm-hmm. you. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Does it need your help right now? <sighs> no. No. It doesn't need your help at all, does it? No. Therefore, you don't have to think about that. You can say, "Wow, I'm so glad that I don't have to fix that light because it's not broken." But then yesterday I had to fix the internet because it was broken. Did you enjoy doing that? Or were you frustrated? <laughs> no, I was actually curious about it. Yeah, I was curious how it's working and and how much right. money I pay, something like that. All right. So we can look at it in the sense that we can have a healthy, wholesome curiosity oh, or yeah. Instead, we can be full of doubt, trepidation, and worry. Now, which one's going to be able to get the job done better? The one who is curious and excited and and enthusiastic about getting that thing fixed? Or the one who is worried, oh, poor me, oh, what will happen to me? I don't have internet. Let me get to see if I can find I bet I can't fix it. Okay. So one of them that is full of joy and enthusiasm and in curiosity actually doesn't have any suffering in it when fixing the Internet. They're fixing the Internet is fixing the Internet. Suffering is optional. Yeah, yeah. It's like the second arrow, right? You get hurt by the first arrow and then you start saying why it happened to me and this is very suffering. So. Before we get into then the uh, the actual teaching of the um, uh, the practice method, what they call the Eightfold Noble Path, and we'll talk yeah. about that. 
But let me give you this concept first. Imagine that you've got a square. You've got a vertical bar here and a horizontal bar that way, dividing into four groups. Okay. Let us now say on the vertical axis on the left, you have, uh, I don't want to do it. And mm -hmm. I don't do it. And on the right, we have, I'm going to do that or I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. On the horizontal version, on the lower, we have, I don't like this. Mm -hmm. And on the top, it's okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So now we have four quadrants. We can either not do it and feel bad, or we can mm -hmm. do it and feel bad, or we mm -hmm. can feel good and not do it. Mm -hmm. Or it feel good and do it. That's always a choice we have. And yet almost always people will go from, I don't want to do it and I'm okay. But if I do it, then I'll feel bad. The question is, can we get ourselves into the state of feeling really good without doing something? Uh -huh. And then we keep that joy when we actually apply it to the doing of something. So there's a Bible verse that talks about that in the sense of whatever thy hand findeth to do, do with all thy mind, all, or excuse me, all thy uh, uh, heart, all thy strength, and all thy mind. Uh -huh. Okay, what does that mean? It means look at what you're doing. Pay attention to what you're doing. Put some skin in the game. Don't do it half-heartedly. Put your whole heart in it. So this is what we're talking about. You have to be able to enjoy what you're doing. Why should you go around plowing your own field, doing what you're told to do and not getting the benefit out of it? Why don't mm -hmm. you walk around in your own pasture? Mm -hmm. Why do we go around doing things that we don't want to do? Well, listen, I well, like when I'm listening to you, when I'm doing that, like when we're doing this, this is where I'm paying attention only. This is exactly where I want to be. And but how do I? <laughs> how okay. Do I take the answer to that is the Eightfold Noble Path. Let's look at it. Okay. Yeah. The first item on the Eightfold Noble Path is right noble view. Right noble view is not the same thing as holding a world view. Holding a world view is either wrong view or ordinary right view. But in fact, noble right view is more of an investigation. It's actually in this moment looking, investigating, examining, making determinations about what's happening right now. Most people hold world views, and those world views are a kind of an ideal world about how things ought to be. Okay, yeah. Okay, there yeah. ought not to be corrupt policemen. The reality is, is that there are corrupt policemen, but the reality is, is that they're not my business. Correct. Let, let me escape from corrupt police. I don't have to go fix them. No. I need to identify what's going on. Okay, so uh, right view comes first. Uh -huh. But we have to uh, use right view in the, in the sense of the next thing that's on the list is what is often mistranslated as the word mindfulness. So let's get this straightened out right away. The word in Pali is sati. Uh -huh, sati the word uh -huh. sati basically means to wake up. It means uh -huh. to stop dreaming and get into reality. Uh-huh. Okay. When they use the word mindfulness, basically one cannot actually be mindful in the sense of looking at what you're doing until after the wake-up call has happened. In a way, mindfulness is more of the investigation. Mm -hmm. But sati is the waking up to remember, to remember, to remember, to remember to do something. Okay. An example of that, a really good example, would be to remember to breathe. Mm -hmm. Because normally, if we don't remember to breathe, then the uh, automatic mechanism goes back to the default, which is very conservative and it's really shallow breathing. Mm -hmm. But when remember to breathe, that means that we're actually remembering to take control of the breath. 
This is why the Buddha talks about a long, deep in-breath. But he talks about it in the sense of sati. This is called anapanasati. To uh -huh. remember to take a long, deep breath and to know that you're taking a long, deep breath. And to remember to take a, a, a long, deep out-breath and to remember to take a long, deep out-breath. Basically, yeah. it would be like to, we're going to oxygenate the body and when we exhale, we're going to actually use the exhale as a way of taking out the trash. The trash that's coming out of the air, the carbon dioxide, the poisons, the bits and pieces of amino acids and that kind of stuff that we breathe out. And so in this regard, we talk about it in the sense of a sigh. Now, a sigh can be um, an exasperated sigh. But mm -hmm. this is the kind of side that is a very relaxed, comfortable, happy, I'm finally finished with it side. After the game is over and we've won the game, we can relax. <sighs> yeah. That's the kind of out breath that we want to become mindful of. The relaxation breath. To begin mm -hmm. to watch the body as it relaxes by breathing well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this is one this is one sati is to wake up also to wake up and investigate the body and investigate the mind. And eventually, when we get fairly good at it, like within 10 minutes, we can start investigating the feelings also. Mm -hmm. Here's a question for you. If you cannot control your mind and cannot control your breathing, then how could you possibly learn to control your your feelings? Oh, yeah, that's impossible. All right, but if you can learn to control your mind and you can learn to control your breathing, then you have at least a shot at learning to control your feelings. Yeah, I can actually feel when I'm letting it, letting my feeling actually take over me. Like there's this little space that I know that, all right, I'm going into it. I'm going full in into this mm -hmm. emotion and it engulfs me. Yes, that's why we call it ignorant. It's not just the feelings of greed and ill will that we have or fear or whatever, it's that we give in to it. Yeah, I let it happen. Mm -hmm. And that can be either very subtly and automatic or it could be a big struggle with them. Or it can be a wake-up call. Look at what you're doing. And when we look at when we wake up and we see what we're doing, when we're recognizing that those uh, going in those places is unwholesome, then we have a chance to make a change. So we have covered now one's right view, which means taking a look, and one sati means remembering to take a look. And when we take a look and we find something that is unwholesome, mm -hmm. then we take the right effort that it takes to change that unwholesome thing into wholesome. Mm -hmm. So, in fact, we have two kinds of effort. One is the effort to uh, actually take control of the breathing. And mm -hmm. the other effort is to take control of the mind. To control the mind so that we remove unwholesome thoughts and allow only wholesome thoughts in this moment to be in the mind. Mm -hmm. And that's the correct practice. Now, if you practice that over and over again, we begin to see the success in it. Oh, I can, in fact, change my mind from unwholesome thoughts into wholesome thoughts. And then kind of thoughts of yippee kayo kaye come up, the kind of thoughts of success arise. Hey, I can do this. Hey, I can, in fact, control my mind. This is when the fourth ingredient comes into play that's on the Eightfold Noble Path. In fact, the Pali is Sama Sankapa. And what mm -hmm. that means is one's right attitude. Mm -hmm. To yeah. change the attitude from this is hard into the attitude of this is easy peasy. To change mm -hmm. the attitude from all oh, poor me into yippee-ki-yo-ki-yay, what a marvelous moment this is. And that's only an attitude change. And you have a chance to change your attitude if you remember that you can do that. 
This yes. is where the Eightfold Noble Path comes from, but we've only called, talked about four of the items on the path, and these four items are the skills that must be developed. And the outcome of that is a unified mind. Mm-hmm. When we have that winner's attitude, I can do this. When we have the attitude, I can feel good no matter what the mind does. I can clean it out and come back to this present moment and enjoy my life. That's the Eightfold Noble Path. Those are four items on the Eightfold Noble Path, and that's all there is to it. But we have to take the effort to take the unwholesome thoughts out and put wholesome thoughts in. Now, that's actually not hard to do. It's actually Mm -hmm. quite easy to do. You can think of each moment, each mind moment, and we look at a mind moment as about a tenth of a second. The reason we know that is because um, uh, of reaction time testing. The psychology, in fact, on the internet, there's uh, reaction times. Uh, mm-hmm. How they do that is that uh, the uh, the website has a red screen on, and then they turn it to green, and then they measure the time from the time that the screen turns green until the time a person clicks the mouse. And mm-hmm. their instructions is when you see the green the screen change from red to green. Click the mouse. Generally, on average, it takes about 300 milliseconds, sometimes down to two. With training, you can get it down to uh, 200 milliseconds. Ordinary people, uh, 300, 250 milliseconds. And let us say world-class champions would be down to about 1.8 or 180 milliseconds. So we're talking about the time that it see, takes to see the red chain to green, mm-hmm. that's one mind moment. The second mind moment is to click the mouse. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so it takes about a tenth of a second to recognize that the screen has turned green and about a tenth of a second to click the mouse. So we're looking at that mind moments are in the area of about uh, once every tenth of a second at best. Okay. But they can be longer than that. People can actually go into a fog and stay in a in a un un uh, changing mind state for several seconds. Confusion okay. is an example of that. Tiredness is another example of that. Is when people the mind will kind of get stuck. Yeah. Okay. Just enough time for your automobile to kill someone if you're out driving and you see mm-hmm. a squirrel in the road and you don't know what to do with it, so you kill it instead. Mm-hmm. Or Granny walks out on the road, and the thought is, Granny should not be out on the road. And by the time you said that to yourself, you've already hit her. <laughs> okay, so this is what we mean by reaction time or response time. And generally, mm-hmm. we react. Yeah, it's, it's a easy. good point to talk about it in the sense of reaction. And what does the word react mean? Is it we're doing again something that we've done before? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so there is reactions and we normally live our lives in reaction to things. Mm -hmm. That reacting to things, if we react to the same stimulus in the same way over and over again, then we develop the habit of that. For instance, uh, when mom gets mad, the child becomes afraid. Mm-hmm. When that little girl grows up, when anybody's angry, she becomes afraid because she picked that habit up when she was a child. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it takes an adult thought for her to recognize, hey, this guy just because he's angry doesn't mean that I'm in danger. But we automatically assume we're in danger because we automatically assumed when we were children that we were in danger. What we do then is our habit patterns manufacture our destiny. Now, we have known about destiny for years and years. I mean, literally uh, millennia. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have whole things in our language to talk about it. An example of that is he who lives by the sword dies by the sword. Mm -hmm. Okay. But if somebody stops living by the sword and puts the sword down, puts it in the closet, gives it to his son or sells the sword, then the likelihood of him dying by the sword is quite remote. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
It's only the guy who lives by the sword is the one who's going to die by the sword. I I, I agree with you. And that's, All oh, right. So uh, let's look then at destiny. In yes. the sense that they talk about free will versus destiny. And the answer to that is there is neither free will nor destiny. What does exist is the human mind that has habits that can be changed. But the changing of these habits is going to take some effort. It's going to take some work. We've got to put some skin in the game. And when we put in the right effort for it and change the mind, that means that now we have made a choice. Before we were unchoiceable, we had to follow our destiny. We did it according to our habits. We went around reacting. But if we can change the way the mind works, then we can be more present here now to make new choices. These choices now means we have free will. Except that it wasn't free will, it was expensive because we had to put a lot of effort into getting this will. But now we can will things. Now we do have control of our lives. And I'm sure that if you had will and control over your life, you'd be very happy. You wouldn't choose to be miserable. And yet you have gotten yourself into a state of misery and you wouldn't choose that. Which means that you're living out some destiny. You're living out some old habit. Correct. But you can change that. You can change the habit patterns of the mind. When do we do that? In this particular moment. When I wake up and see that this is an unwholesome thought, I can change it. Never mind about next minute or five minutes from now. In this minute, I can change what I have to think. So back to the idea that each thought moment is like a conveyor belt. Mm -hmm. The conveyor belt is going to keep moving. Sometimes it was a good thought, sometimes it was a bad thought, sometimes another wholesome thought, sometimes an unwholesome thought. You actually have choices over this. Freud had the term free association. The question mm -hmm. is, why does our free association continuously associate with unwholesome things? Uh-huh. The answer is, is because that's our habit. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. We started yeah. that habit when we were kids. Now we can change our habit. And the change of habit is just to remind yourself that this is unwholesome thought. Yeah, Whatever. we can have wholesome thoughts, exactly. And so we throw out unwholesome thoughts and put wholesome thoughts in the mind. Over and over and over again. And pretty soon you have a whole lot less unwholesome thoughts and a whole lot more wholesome thoughts, which has happened with you since the last time that we've talked. You've decided that you're going to let yourself have some more wholesome thoughts. But I would not know this unless you talked to me about it. Right. Exactly. Why? But this is so simple. Why didn't your parents teach you? It's because they didn't know. This is no. in a way of what we talk about is original sin. Original sin is the sin that a child picks up from the parents because the parents didn't know any better. And they didn't know any better because they were raised by their parents who didn't know any better. Mm -hmm. They didn't know any better because they were raised by parents who didn't know any better. And it goes right back to primitive times. So but occasionally a Buddha will come by and he'll say, hey, guys, you don't have to think unwholesome negative thoughts and look for dangers all the time. We built a society that's not dangerous. Why do we still feel danger so much? <laughs> I know because it's easy. It feels ingrained. It's not ingrained, but it is habitual. Yeah, it is habitual. Yeah. That there are instincts, that we will talk a lot about instinct, but uh, instincts, instinctual behavior um, is, let us say, done by the children because all they've got is an instinctual reaction to things, that the mind is not fully formed yet as for children. Mm -hmm. And so the children go by their instincts and then they develop habits that are following those instincts. An example of that is the, of the, the nesting instinct or the herding instinct 
And the nesting herding instinct means that in order to stay in the nest or in order to stay in the herd, we've got to go along with the herd. Mm-hmm. That the herd of wildebeest, they want to be in the herd because the ones who are in the middle of the herd are the safest from the lions. And the ones that are stragglers and are on the outside of the herd, they're the ones who are in the most danger. Which means they were eaten. Okay, so the eccentrics. And the um, guys who go listen to the uh, to the beat of their own drum, the individualist and all of that kind of stuff, many, many centuries ago were eaten by the lions. And the only people who were left were the ones who were uh, according to the herding instinct. And they remained safe because they were in the herd. So much for herding instinct. So we are we have an instinct of going along to get along. Yeah, uh-huh. and society abuses that big time. But in Don't... fact, a society is built upon this herding instinct of go. Everybody goes along to get along. That's what our society is. Yes, and that's why I feel I I want to be abstracted from it, but I cannot do it because I am a part of it. By Guilty of association, you know? Right, because you bit into it, guilt by association. So if you continue to associate uh, with unwholesome thoughts that you got from society, you'll stay there. But if you can start to change your mind from unwholesome to wholesome thoughts, then you're actually bucking society in a way. Because society wants you to feel bad. Mm-hmm. The business people want you to feel bad enough to go buy what they have to sell. Mm-hmm. The education system wants you to feel so bad that you'll buy their uh, product and go to their classes. Mm-hmm. Religion wants really wants you to feel bad. They're the kings of it. The religions really want you to feel bad, so you'll put money in the collection plate. And the government yeah. wants you to feel bad so that they can control you in many other ways, like voting. Yeah. I have just introduced to you the grab. So what does not make E B. Go ahead. So what does not make me feel guilty? What does not make, like, is there anything in society that does not make you feel guilty? Well, so long as you're in the concepts of society, you don't have much chance. But when you come out of society, because right now you're not in society. Right now you're in your room. We're having a conversation about the Dharma and the society is not there. But you start thinking about society, you bring it into your mind. Okay, well, I like this. So that's why I'm, this is where I, you're so instrumental in like uh, determining what I'm doing in this life. Because I don't want to be a part of that society. Okay, well, wanna... then come out of it right now and don't be in part of that society in this very moment. Start developing the habit of not being in the society that gives so much consternation. Stop thinking about it right now. Yeah, well, (laughs) oh my God. (laughs) All right, well. I'm not thinking about it. (laughs) How do I function? <laughs> Happily. Oh my God. But you but see, you've been so busy functioning unhappily that you don't recognize that you could be functioning happily. What we need to do is to go get away from it all, get into seclusion, and learn to live happily. Once you learn to live happily, then you can go about doing things happily. Or a better thing is to start doing things happily, and when you're not happy anymore with it, to withdraw from that task, come back and get the mind happy again, and when the mind is happy again, then go back and do the rest of that task. So I feel like right now what I need to do is to leave and go into, like, go and sit for, like, a month by myself somewhere. How about about a minute? A minute? Oh, my God. Yeah, go get a minute's worth of happiness. And then when you go out and you lose that minute's worth of happiness and you remember, aha, I just lost it. 
And now I could have another minute of happiness. That's what sati is all about, is to remember, to keep remembering. And so that's actually a skill that we need to practice so that we can remember. An example would be, have you ever heard of Murphy's Law? Uh, yes. You know yes. what it is? Um, oh, shoot. No, I don't remember. Okay. It has two pieces, and most people remember the first piece. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Oh. But they fail to re remember the second part, which is the important part. Okay, yeah. so the whole thing is anything that can go wrong will go wrong, and it'll go wrong at the worst possible moment. Oh. Okay, when does a rocket blow up? Does it blow up while it's being manufactured? Does it blow up after it's already in outer space, or does it blow up right after it was launched? When it's under its most stress is when the rocket blows up, All right? Another example is you've got a thousand room hotel, a brand new hotel, and they bought a brand new spit computer system that's good for a thousand rooms. Mm -hmm. When does the computer system fail? Does it fail on opening night? Does it fail during the low season? Or does it fail when the fill, when the hotel is full? Uh-huh, yeah. Right, yeah. just when they need that computer system the most, it's also the stress the most, and that's when it fails. Mm -hmm. Okay, if you understand Murphy's Law, you can understand that Buddha understood Murphy's Law. This is what sati is all about, to remember, to watch, so that when things go bad, we know it. Okay, yeah. which means that in the worst possible situation, when... Uh, is when we're most likely to not have sati. An example of that is when uh, uh, a bill comes or when the boss is yelling or mm -hmm. when the government is breaking down our door. The bad moments, or let us say when we're driving our automobile and then we see the blue lights and the red lights and the siren right behind us, okay? <laughs> That's the time when people lose it, the time when they need the sati the most. Mm -hmm. If we can have the sati right when we need it, then we can go through life in a breeze. Hi, how you doing, officer? I'm glad to see you out on duty tonight. I don't have a clue about why you stopped me. I guess you're just stopping everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So just laugh. Many people get really distracted about cops being dangerous. They become fearful. They start acting fearful. The cop picks up on the fear. The cop gets on high alert. He puts his hand on his gun and any strange movement that the scratchy cat, and they're likely to get shot. Mm -hmm. I don't think that all of this uh, uh, bad cop black people yeah. is yeah. the issue. It's cops trained to kill things that are afraid of them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so people get freaked out until the cop kills them. They're acting just like dogs. Yeah. Who does the dog bark at? Does the dog bark at the people who are not afraid of dogs or does it bark at the people who are afraid of them? Yeah, yeah, they can feel fear. Yeah, it exudes, they can smell it. Not only that, but they're very good at picking up body language. So are cops. Mm -hmm. But if you're not afraid, then you can handle things excellently. But if you're terrified of the cops, you're going to act terrified and probably do some pretty stupid things that might get you killed. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, all right. Oof. Um, uh, I have like a practical question. All right. Okay. Maybe you can help me with this. Um, so <laughs> I feel like I shouldn't be worried about anything at all, but <laughs> I have this choice that I can go and study and go into that educational system <laughs> that is designed to make me guilty, feel guilty, um, unless I don't let it. <laughs> And now I'm all confused. So I have this choice to continue in my education, 
but then I'm thinking maybe I shouldn't why, do it. Why? Why are you uh, continuing in education? Um, because I kind of is in, like it's offered basically to me, and I'm just taking it because I don't know what else to do. Well, I would think that people would get an education because they like getting an education. I do. I do like studying. All right. Yeah. Don't do it because you like doing it. <laughs> Not because uh, this is just easy. Pardon? Not because this is just an easy thing. <laughs> That's an easy coming to me type yeah. of offer. So. Why don't you let things be easy? Why do you have to have a tough life? Why don't you have an easy life? <laughs> it's only an attitude change, you know. Yeah. And that's what we're practicing. We're practicing to change the attitude. And we do that by changing the thought we have in this moment. And we begin to change our view about what is wholesome and what is not wholesome. So as we improve, with our skill, that means that what we used to think was wholesome, now we see is dangerous. And so we don't think about that anymore. For instance, I used to think that having those arguments with Aunt Susie were productive. I'm sitting in meditation, but I'm planning my attack on Susie. But later I recognized that, hey, wait a minute, Susie is not in the meditation hall. Why should I be planning my attack on Susie? while I'm sitting trying to enjoy my life. So maybe I should throw Susie out of my mind right now and just be here now. Yeah. So for you, throwing uh, a wounded cats out of the mind. And now, okay. now, right now, you don't have any wounded cats. Okay, uh, what if I am afraid of a, some kind of test exam I'm afraid of the failing. I'm afraid of the judgment. So what do I do with this? Do I just start digging around and asking myself? Well, for, for one thing, if you like what you're studying, then you're going to learn it because you like it. Yeah. So you can have some confidence. I like it and I'm learning it. And let the yeah. test take care of itself. I'm more interested in getting a good kick out of what I'm learning. I'm not interested in a test. Uh-huh. And when it's test time, we can just say, okay, here it is. But I'm I'm interested in learning what you are saying. This is I man, this is so different. Cause you're teaching this is exactly what I want to know. Okay. Well. Exactly what you want to know is that you can be happy. All you have to do is remember to be happy. Oh, my God. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, um... All you have to do is remember. That's what sati is all about, is to wake up and smell the coffee. Have you ever heard that before? Yeah, Waking up means that when we're asleep, there's coffee brewing and we don't know it because we're out of it. We may be, in fact, uh, in a dream that has wanting coffee in it. Yeah. Because when we were asleep, we can smell it just a little bit. And so now we're dreaming about coffee. But we could actually wake up and uh -huh. smell the coffee. And what smelling of the coffee means is that we're smelling something that's real, which means we're uh, in contact with our senses, the sense of smell. To wake up and to smell the coffee means that we're right here, right now, in this present moment, with what's happening now. Yeah. Oh, my God. As opposed to thinking about how bad things can get. <laughs> so, when the student is, is studying, instead of studying and really enjoying the studies and getting a big kick out of it, She's worried about the exam. And while she's worried about the exam, she's not really studying. She's just being worried and she's that's unhappy. That's right. If you stop yeah, working and just pay attention to, well, I really like this stuff and I don't care about the test at all. What I'm really interested in is learning the information because I like it. 
Wow. Oh, wow. Well, the, I feel like, yeah, this was the training that I had to, well, I was offered, I guess, in my life that I have to perform accordingly to some standard. Exactly. That's what. But now that standard, guess what, is not out there in the world. That standard is a standard you learned as a child and you continue to repeat it to yourself and you're holding yourself up to a standard that yes. is artificial. That you, you even just made that standard up. You made it up from bits and pieces of things that you've heard from teachers and parents and grandpunks and preachers and all kinds of stuff, even other teenagers. Yeah. And so we pick that stuff up and we make uh, a kind of a life plan that nobody can live out. No. Okay. This is what we mean by critical thinking. Critical thinking, another way of talking about it, is trying to follow the rules that we made up. Mm-hmm. And we use words like should and could and ought to. And when we hear ourselves using that language, we'll recognize that all oh, we're dealing with the past. We're setting mm-hmm. some arbitrary ideal that this reality can't match up to. We're in almost uh, ignorantly, but intentionally creating a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... But if we live in the present moment, then we can live in the present moment with thoughts that are nurturing, nurturing thoughts. But you've spent most of your life uh, as an adult in critical thoughts. Critical thinking. What is critical thinking? Critical thinking is this is good, but that's better. This mm-hmm. is good, that's bad. This is nice, but I really want that over there. If you think about it really, really carefully, you'll recognize that that is greed and ill will. That's what critical thinking is. I like this, I don't like that. Mm-hmm. And that we have a set of arbitrary standards about what is good and what is bad. We learned that as children, okay, which now we recognize, oh, that's the source of um, unhappiness. And dukkha is trying to follow a set of rules that are no longer appropriate. Mm -hmm. They were trying to follow a set of rules that we remembered and manufactured. And here we are uh doing that so here's an example of that this actually happened the student calls and he says while i was watching youtube i had the thought i ought to go be meditating Mm -hmm. and then the next thought was i don't want to meditate and then Mm -hmm. the next thought is but you ought to go meditate you really need to meditate and then the thought is yeah but i really don't want to meditate i want to watch this video okay He's not watching the video now. He's in a mental dialogue of suffering. Go do that. I don't want to do it. Go do that. I don't want to do it. Go do that. I don't want to do it. He's not watching the video. He is not meditating. He is doing what he's always done, having an argument with himself between his parent and his child. This is another way of looking at us being crowd inside. Mm-hmm. The crowd is the distinction between what we really want to do and what we t- are telling ourselves that we should do. Mm-hmm. All right. Now let's change things around a little bit. And that is the guy's watching the video on YouTube and he has the thought you ought to be meditating. The next thought is. Yeah, and it feels so nice, too, doesn't it? You see the difference? Mm-hmm. One is an invitation to, to have critical thinking. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the invitation, you ought to go me meditating, that's critical. But, oh, you could be meditating, that's nurturing. Yeah, I could meditate now, right? I could take a deep breath and just enjoy the moment. Yeah, so I just talk myself a little bit nicer. So we're literally changing our style from being a critical parent into Mm -hmm. a nurturing parent, taking care and nurturing the child within, rather Mm -hmm. than being critical of the child within. Now, every mom, when a child is newborn, 
There is a big celebration in every maternity ward that happens at the moment when the mom uh, gets her newborn baby. It's all been cleaned up and the nurse brings her in for mom and the baby to bond. And this is such a wonderful, delicious moment that everybody in the maternity ward wants to be in the room when mom gets her baby. You know what I'm talking about. They even call it a, a bonding chemical that happens in the mind, uh, uh, oxycotin. Oxytocin. Yeah, which is not the same thing as oxycodone, which they have, uh, which is a chemical, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, so in that regard, if you start to nurture yourself, then that means that you're automatically bringing up nurturing chemicals mm -hmm. that allow the mind to relax and to be happy and comfortable. And mm -hmm. so we want to give ourselves nurturing thoughts, nurturing thoughts like, hey, man, you don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. Every thoughts about you could do that email later. Don't worry about it right now. Everything's okay. Everything's fine. Right this very minute. Those are the thoughts that we want to start having. Okay. Having All right. Thoughts. Yeah. I guess I can't. I shouldn't be even thinking about changing life unless I'm changing my thoughts first. Right. <laughs> like, One thought at a time. Monumental task. Yeah. Right. So in this particular moment, instead of thinking about jobs you've got to do or decisions you have to make, you can have the thought, oh, well, we're at least right now, everything's OK. I'll worry about the future later. Right now, yeah. everything's OK. <laughs> it's so simple. It's too simple, I would say. It is very simple. <laughs> and it's very light. I feel a very light feeling. Thank you very much, Demorado, again. This is so, this, you are so, so instrumental. Oh. All you have to do is remember. That's the skill to bring up. And we'll talk about uh, some of the techniques we can use to get that skill going. But right now, I think we've gotten enough done today. I think so too, yes. I, I think, I, I mean, I definitely got, Every, uh, everything I wanted from from this session <laughs> and and it's such a pleasure again I really thank you for being such a careful caring person <laughs> I get a kick out of it yeah yeah you do I hope you do okay Anna we'll see you the next couple of days or so go practice yeah practice thank you. feeling good practice well, telling I yourself everything's all right everything's fine well, I'm taking that exam, like this uh, test on, on Monday. All right, tell yourself, whenever you think of that exam, think, you got that aced. You got That's not aced. the issue. The issue is, do you like the, uh, the information that's going to be requested on the exam? That's yeah. the point. Enjoy the data, and the exam will take care of itself. Okay. Oh, thank Grass you Grass grows by itself. <laughs> thank you. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Thank you again. Enjoy. Enjoy your exam. But Thank don't you. worry about it in advance. Go study instead and enjoy the study. Okay. I will. Thank you again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Many thanks. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye.